Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Peter chapter 2? We've come to verse 4. And we'll be looking at verses 4 through 12 today, God willing. So Peter is writing from where he calls Babylon, which is obviously Rome, to scattered Christians. And apparently those who were leaving were mostly making their way into the area that we know of today as Turkey. We saw how the Holy Spirit through Peter tells those Christians that they are there by the purpose and design of God. They are there as the diaspora, the, the seed scatterers. There are sojourners in this life. They are exiles, but they are where God placed them. God doesn't make any mistakes. So God has them there specifically God will turn this persecution and suffering from Nero in Rome toward the Christians and Christianity. He will turn that into his glory. That's how God always works. And he will use persecuted, suffering, displaced Christians. Having been sent to a place with which they're not familiar. In a life of suffering and, and want in a world where they are despised because of the slander that Nero and the Roman administration has spoken out against Christians and Christianity, falsely accusing them of things and, and so forth. Trying to convince the world that Christians are crazy, that they're cannibals because we proclaim at the Lord's Supper Christ says, this is my body, take it and eat it. This is my blood, drink it. And so they've dis they distorted that and made the world think that Christians were a bunch of blood-sucking cannibals. Well, that naturally would make the neighbor kind of stand off. You know, why are you looking at me that way? What are you going to do with that ax? I heard you people burned Rome down. All kind of problems. But they're there for a purpose. And if God puts you somewhere, he's not going to fail. And he will use you in the way that he places you and calls you. Until finally, you're done. And then it's on to glory. Well, okay. Suffering persecuted Christians in something in somewhat of a strange place with everything against them. Difficult to find work. People despising them, afraid of them, slanderous toward them, toward them speaking evil of them in every way, believing everything that Rome has said about Christians and Christianity. Placed there to plant the seed of the gospel, to, to sow the seed of the gospel of Christ. God himself knowing that he 
has his own people there and they will be saved. And he uses his church in the process. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So Peter writes to give them hope and encouragement. Now, we get to this part. He just has told them previously, we saw this last time, you've laid aside all malice and deceit and envies and, and, uh, and slander and all this stuff. You've laid all that aside. Now, having laid all of the, all of the fleshly sins of, of, uh, of pride, and so you've laid that aside. You wouldn't be here in this situation if you weren't proclaiming Christ in your life. Naturally, the question would be in the hearts of these believers. How are we going to make this work? With everything that's said against us and against our Lord, with people afraid of us, despising us, speaking evil against us, slandering us. How are we going to make this work? And how are we going to be attractively unique in the place where God has placed us? Well, that, that question, which would obviously, the Holy Spirit would know, would be in their minds and their hearts. That question is answered here. The Holy Spirit through Peter here is saying, you have hope because of certain benefits and privileges that are yours completely and absolutely and they can't be taken away. And living out this life of spiritual privilege in Christ will make its way into the lives of those whom God would call to himself. So here, Peter then describes the uniqueness of Christians. What causes Christ in us to be attractive to a world who otherwise despises us and despises our Lord and our God and our faith and his word? Well, okay, here we go. Number one, the first great privilege is you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are united with Christ. There's a union, a spiritual union that exists that cannot be broken. And it's in this first phrase, to whom coming? So God through Peter here acknowledges they came to Christ. Now, a little further explanation. A living stone now that would be like an oxymoron. A, a stone is dead. Deader than a bag of rocks or something like that, you know. But here, this stone about which Peter writes is a living stone. To whom coming? The whom is the living stone. Indeed rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen. And precious. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Living stones. We are joined together into a living spiritual house. 
Another apostle will write that this would be described as the temple of God. In the day of Christianity, the temple doesn't exist. If it did, it would be useless because Christ has fulfilled everything about it. Here, Peter says, you are the temple. The temple, like in the Old Testament, doesn't exist anymore. But you are the temple, a spiritual house. What is a temple? It's a place of worship. In the Old Testament, the temple is the place that not only was representative of the, of the presence of God, but in the days of Israel, in the days of their obedience, he promised them that in the Holy of Holies, he would be there according to their obedience. So then, you're in Christ together. That makes you a spiritual house, a temple. And a temple is a place of worship. In the place of worship, according to the definition of God in the Old Testament, there must be a priesthood in order to offer the sacrifices for worship. So here it is. Number two, who are we? We are a holy priesthood. We are a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. The presence of God is in his church today. You won't go to a temple mount somewhere and find, the, of course, God is everywhere. But in, with regard to his relationship to his people, God lives in his people. We are the temple of God. Together, corporately in the church, God takes up his residence. This is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. We are the temple of God. And, and that's, where, that's where worship occurs. And it cannot occur except that there would be a, a holy priesthood, a separated priesthood. Now think about the priesthood of the Old Testament. This is why it's important. You know, we've been going through the books of Moses for, I don't know, six years, I guess, on Sunday nights. We've studied a lot of this stuff about the priesthood, and it just seems to drone on and on and on about the colors and the, and the, the way they're supposed to dress and what they're supposed to do and, and the, so forth. Well, here's, here's the lesson. A priesthood declared to be a priesthood, first of all, has to be chosen. In the Old Testament, the high priest had to come from the family of Aaron. The priesthood itself had to come from the tribe of Levi. They were chosen and separated from everybody else. Then in the law, we find out that once they enter in, they, they come to be into the priesthood, they must be cleansed. There was a ritual of cleansing for priests. In the Old Testament, we've studied all that. I know you've committed it all to memory. The book of Leviticus is so easy to memorize, right? Then after being cleansed, these anointed, chosen, separated priests would then be prepared and instructed, anointed for service, and then they would serve. And this is how Israel worshiped. 
they would bring sacrifices. And we've studied all these different kinds of sacrifices that people would, would bring. They would offer these sacrifices. And they would do it in the understanding that they were going through the motions and acknowledging something that is a spiritual truth which God will fulfill with the supreme sacrifice in a day yet to come. They were saved by looking forward to the day of Christ and expressing that faith in the rituals and sacrifices of the Old Testament system. Now the priesthood would direct that. So who are we? We are the temple, a spiritual house. We're all joined together, living stones. We are a living spiritual temple in the world. This is the temple of God in the world today. Not only are we the temple, we're the priesthood. We've been chosen by God. He called us out from the rest of the world and we came to Christ. We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and his righteousness has been placed upon us. We have been prepared, we are preparing, and we are seeking to serve. All right, so as a holy priesthood, we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, it's, 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 it's easily explained and it's easily understood. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, your soma, your body, your body, your physical thing, your, the who you are, your body. So we're, we're getting into the physical aspect of the existence of a Christian. Today, we're gathered here because we are, we physically came. We physically came to church. Now, if you're not here physically, you may leave now. We have presented ourselves because we are believers in Christ. Because it is in us as the temple to be, to be worship and as priests to participate in worship. We have come physically and we have presented ourselves physically into the presence of God today. Right now, that's a spiritual sacrifice. Coming to church is a spiritual sacrifice. It's a physical thing that you have done that set aside everything else physically except for this. That's a spiritual sacrifice. It speaks of what you do physically in this, in this body, what you do for Christ. And in doing that, it sets aside everything else of the world. We pray. That's a spiritual sacrifice. We set aside the world and we come before the throne of grace. We have immediate access to God. And in the Old Testament, the, the people couldn't get to God. They had to have a priesthood. And the only one who could stand in the actual presence of God was once a year the high priest on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. It's not like that with us. We are a holy priesthood set, separated and set apart. We are the temple. We are the priests. And we offer the spiritual sacrifices. We're not offering lambs and bulls and all that. We're offering ourselves personally. And what, this is a very personal thing. Now, I can't take you 
and offer something from you to the Lord. You do that yourself. You are part of the holy priesthood in Christ. So when I present myself before God in a time like this, we have come to praise and to pray, to learn, to teach, to worship. This is a spiritual sacrifice. And there are parts of that that are a spiritual. To teach, we've had Sunday school and we teach the Bible. That's a spiritual sacrifice. To come to learn, to sit under teaching, to learn. That's a spiritual sacrifice. Physically, you've laid aside yourself, your body, so that you could sit in the presence of teaching from the Word of God. That's a spiritual sacrifice. We fellowship with one another. Koinonia, the, 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 the fellowship of Christianity is that which expresses this divine love toward one another. Isn't it wonderful? We're going to have an ice cream supper next Sunday night. And we're going to be offering a sacrifice. Ha! Oh, I could do that with the best of them. To fellowship, we're there in the name of the Lord. Look around. The rest of the world isn't beating the door down to come in here and do the things that we're doing. They can't offer. They're not separated. They're not called. They're not chosen. They're not put apart. They're not priests. They, they don't know how to offer a spiritual sacrifice. Whatever we do in the name and, of, and for the cause of Christ, physically, we set aside the world and we do this in the presence of God through Christ and in his name. This is a spiritual sacrifice. We have people who go to foreign lands occasionally through our missions efforts. We have people who share the gospel. Those are all spiritual sacrifices. To do it for Christ and in his name is a spiritual sacrifice. It just proves that we are a separated priesthood and that we are part of the great spiritual temple, the spiritual house that offers the only worship that God can accept through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to worship him. There's no other way to serve him. There's no other way to be a Christian. Peter writes to these poor, lonely, displaced, suffering Christians. You are unique in this world. Only you. In Christ. Can do what God has called his people to do. So. You want to be unique, uniquely attractive? You want to make Christ attractive? Then assume the position to which God has placed you. Don't worry about the world. Look, do what God has called you to do. God take care of the rest of it. Man, it took me 40 years or more to learn that. I was so, I had to work and plan and kick people's rear ends to do things and you've got to come to the meeting. You're going to be here Tuesday night, every Tuesday night, ad infinitum until we're dead. <laughs> I finally learned that Jesus Christ is my Sabbath. I have rested in Christ. He does the work. He pricks my heart. He lays conviction upon me. He gives me unction and direction. He gives me a gift of some kind. He resources me and then provides opportunities. But whatever happens, it is by the power of Christ. That's it.
Now, I have, I don't know how many revivals I've preached in my years. And I don't know how many evangelistic meetings I've preached and how many times I've, I've, I've uh, had special crusade meetings and, and one night things. And I planned it. I spent all kind of church money to prepare for it. Did all this stuff, and after all the dust was settled, we were just practically where we were, it seemed. Until slowly and finally and surely, God made me realize that it is not my work. Christ claimed the accomplishment of it. It is finished. It is accomplished. I can't die on the cross. I can't send the Holy Spirit. I can't crawl into your heart. I can't draw people to Christ. Only God can do that. So it's a, hey, here's what you do. Understand. You are, by the Holy Spirit of God, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, you are the presence of God in the sense that the Holy Spirit has come to take abode, take up abode in your life. Together, as living stones, we are the temple. And that temple offers worship to the true and living God. That's what we do. We are a priesthood. We can direct the worship. We can participate and we can offer spiritual sacrifices. That's what we do. Just be the church. Rest in Christ. What did the prophet say? It is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This is who we are. A separated priesthood, a living house, spiritual house, a temple. We are in Christ we offer spiritual sacrifices. Anything we do physically that sets us apart for that particular service is a spiritual sacrifice. That's what it is. And it is acceptable because we do it through Jesus Christ our Lord. We haven't come in any other name but the name of Jesus. Because there is no other name. So then, we are unique and God says what will, what will attract others to who we are in Christ is that first of all, we declare that we're in Christ, not ashamed of it. We are the temple of the almighty God, the true and living God, a holy priesthood, and we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God because they are offered through Jesus Christ. Now he goes back to Isaiah. Therefore it is contained in scripture. Behold I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen precious. That word. Uh, that Greek word up there means. Beyond any value that you could imagine. Precious cornerstone. So, here's what a cornerstone does. 
it stabilizes the rest of the structure. The literal Greek word here means to set the angle. I'm not a builder. I read about stuff. So it has to be just right and it joins walls. If the cornerstone isn't set right, if the cornerstone is weak, if it's not precious, if it's not right, well, everything could collapse. It must be according to what is set by the cornerstone. Behold, Yahweh says through the prophet, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone. The third thing that makes us unique is the rest of this verse here. And that is we are secure in Christ. Look what he says. And the one believing on him shall not be put to shame. Will never be shamed. Never. Shall not. That's a double negative. It's, it's very powerful in the Greek text. Never. No, not ever. The believer in Christ shall never, ever be put to shame. He is secure in Christ. So to those Christians who are in that far flung place that make up the modern nation of Turkey, you are secure in Christ. Let them grant, let them rave, let them slander, let them intimidate, let them threaten. God has placed you there to spread the seed and you will never be put to shame. Just bloom where you're planted. The fourth thing is we have the honor of being in Christ. To you, therefore, to those believing, is the preciousness or the value. It's a different form of the same word. You, to me, precious, hey, to me, the preciousness, the value, the honor, to you, believer, is the honor through Christ to you. Oh, Christian, is the value. The world cannot understand the value of Christ, which really cannot be described. But by the precious call of God into Christ, we have been born again and we have been made to understand the value of this security, of this relationship that we have in Christ. So he says to these poor, suffering, persecuted Christians there, I want you to understand how valuable this relationship is. What an honor to be in Christ. The intimidators were trying to make the Christians feel subhuman. Peter says that won't happen. You stand in Christ. Understand who you are in Christ. But there's a, a juxtaposition here. There's another side of this. And he goes to the Psalm 118 
and then again back to Isaiah here. But to those disbelieving, he quotes the psalm. The stone which those building, the, the, the builder, we just say, the stone which the builder, the builders have rejected, this has become the head of the corner. The world rejects it. Therefore, they have nothing on which to stand. There's nothing stable about them. They are the unbelievers. They have rejected. These unbelievers have rejected the head of the corner. And he goes back to Isaiah. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble at the gospel. They are offended by Christ, the church, the gospel, Christianity, the word of God. It offends them. It is a rock of offense, causes them to stumble. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which destruction or doom they were also appointed. Etethison. How about that? They were appointed. To destruction. You could also translate the Greek word assigned. They were assigned to destruction. We don't know which ones they are. God knows. These, these persecuted Christians had a simple job live like a Christian, receive the great honor. Of being in Christ. God will take care of you. You're there for a purpose. People will see Christ in you. And those whom God will bring to himself will be attracted and they will come to Christ. Many will be disobedient. I talked about all of those meetings that I've preached through the years. Back in my earlier time of ministry. You hear without, boy, you have all kinds of tricks. You know, make them stand up now if you're saved. Sit down or whatever. Your hands up, hands down. And finally you come with people who are pretty honest about the whole thing. You have a swath of hands in the air that they're not saved. But not all of them come to Christ. It's only by the power of God. I never could know who would leave there as a fresh believer or who would leave there continuing in a hardened heart of unbelief. I can't know that. God knows. But we preached the word. The Christians here in Turkey live like Christians. Accept the honorable position of who you are in Christ. And how you serve him. God will take care of everything else. Separating believers. And unbelievers. Now continuing. The uniqueness in Christ. Number five. You are a chosen race. We are not Jew nor Greek. Nor barbarian. 
We're even told in the New Testament, we are neither male nor female, but we are a chosen, unique race, chosen by God. He calls us into this race of humanity, regardless of skin color, genealogy, language. He calls us regardless of any of that, whether or not we're male or female. He saves us in Christ. This is the job that God assumes for himself. I cannot be God. My job is to preach it to everybody and pray for everybody. Oh God, those who are here who have never come to Christ, oh God, let this be the day of salvation. Please, don't let them leave without Christ. But the only way they can come to Christ is if God calls them. That's the only way. There's no other way. Chosen race. Then he goes back to the priesthood, but he changes a little bit. Number six, we are a royal priesthood. That temple, which we are, is also a palace. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're called in the Revelation a kingdom of priests, kings and priests to have authority and to rule with Christ, a royal priesthood. Wow, that's much higher than what Nero was in his day to be dubbed by the Almighty a king and a priest, a kingly priest. Number seven, a holy nation. That word is different from ethnos, it's uh, it means people, a holy people, a people for his possession. We are his possession. We are possessed by almighty God. We are his possession. He'll take care of us forever, always and forever. Now there are two so that's in, uh, in this general context. Here's the first one. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one having called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. You see, we're all these things so that we can proclaim the word excellencies up there can also, be, can also be translated acts of grace. Artas. Acts of grace. We can proclaim it. Proclaim who he is, what he does. God takes care of the results. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people. But now the people could see these people who had been displaced into this new place. They could say in their proclamation, we were once like you. We were pagans and worshipers of false gods. We were Romans. But we were in darkness. And we've been called out of that darkness and into his marvelous light. Now we're the people of God. Once we didn't receive the mercy of God, but now we have received the mercy of God. We have been forgiven 
and granted eternal life. Beloved, I exhort you as aliens and sojourners to abstain from fleshly desires or passions which war against the soul. It was so easy to fall into that horrible pagan worship that, that, that involved all kinds of deviant sexual behavior. Keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. A word used of unbelievers. You see, isn't it interesting that even people who claim to do things that they want to do and it's okay have an innate understanding that it's really bad. There are certain things that are bad. Evil. Keeping your conduct among the Gentiles uh, honorable. Here's the other, so that. So that wherein when they speak against you, when they slander you as evildoers, they would say what Nero had been saying. Bunch of cannibals, blood-sucking cannibals. Weird. When they slander you like this, you just live, you be in Christ, walk in Christ, live like a Christian. They'll witness it. They'll see it. They'll take note that you are not what others have said you were. Having witnessed out of the good deeds, they may glorify God in the day of judgment visitation. In the day of overseeing, it's a, it's a, it's a, a word that speaks of judgment. Everybody's going to stand in judgment. Believers will stand in, in our judgment in the sense that we are dismissed from all guilt and shame and granted all that God would give to us in Christ. But then unbelievers will stand in their judgment as well. And if they remain as unbelievers in the day of their judgment, they will not be able to slander you at all. They can say nothing against you because of how you ordered your conduct in Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, okay? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came into this world to save sinners. If you're here today without Christ, and God calls you to Christ, you'll know it. This invitation is for you. In just a moment, we'll have a song of invitation. And in the act of standing for that song, I invite you to come and take me by the hand. Say, preacher, I want to come to Christ. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this church. The invitation is open for you as well. Father God in heaven, bless this moment. Use it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Prayerfully, heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you prayerfully stand all over this room? 
As God speaks to you, would you come right now?